Welcome to the Sunday Sermon Podcast of First United Methodist Church in Opelika. We'd love for you to join us for worship each Sunday at 9 o'clock or 10.30 a.m. To learn more about First United Methodist, visit us online at fumcopelika.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook at fumcopelika. Thanks for tuning in. This morning uh, with a bit of a social experiment, uh, but I need your help, okay? Uh, don't be shy, don't be modest, I need you to participate in this with me. I'm going to ask you a question, and if it applies to you, I want you to raise your hand and keep it raised. Got it? If it applies to you, I want you to raise your hand and keep it raised. You ready? How many of you would say that you are an above-average driver? Above-average. Not perfect, not exceptional, not flawless, not professional, just above-average. Don't lie, we're in church. (laughs) Interesting. It appears that 75% of you are above-average. But don't worry, though. You can put your hands down. (laughs) Don't worry, though. You're not alone. Uh, When surveyed, 94% of college professors say they do above-average work. In another survey, uh, 70% of high school students said that they have above-average leadership skills. And in yet another survey, uh, 40% of one company's engineers, 40%, said that they were in the top 5% of employees. Now, I don't know how much you remember from that statistics course a long time ago, uh, but when it comes to the bell-shaped curve with the line down the middle of it, that's average. And 94%, 70% cannot be above average. We all do this. We do it all the time, and in all kinds of ways. We overestimate ourselves. We have an inflated sense of our own abilities. I mean, we may not be the best, but certainly we're above average. I mean, I may not be the best driver in Opelika, but I have never come to a complete stop in a roundabout. Amen? (laughs) And so I may not be the best, but certainly I'm better than fill-in-the-blank. We do this all the time. We do it in all kinds of ways. We overestimate ourselves. We have an inflated sense of our own abilities, an inflated sense of our own intelligence or our own virtue. And friends, there's a word for that. Can you guess? It's called pride. And it lives inside each and every one of us. And if you're here this morning and you're convinced that you don't struggle with pride, that's probably your pride talking. (laughs) Pride lives inside each of us. It's what keeps us from being able to celebrate other people's success. It's the thing that keeps you from um, initiating an apology when you know that you're wrong. It's the thing that keeps you from initiating an apology when you're 5% wrong and the other person is 95% wrong. It's a thing that keeps you arguing your point even after you've realized you don't really have a good point. It's a thing that keeps you from 
confessing your weakness and admitting you need help. It keeps you from admitting that you don't know what you're doing even when everyone else knows that you don't know what you're doing. It's the thing that causes you to power up when you should be opening up. It's what causes you to cheat before you allow your, yourself to lose. It causes you to insist on having the final word. And it causes you to buy things to impress people who aren't even paying attention to you. Worst of all, it's the thing that keeps you from being in right relationship with God, in right relationship with your neighbor. It's pride. Oh, we've all got it. Oh, we have all dispensed it. And we've all been victims of it. But it's almost impossible to see it in the mirror. It's almost impossible to see it in the mirror. So today, uh, we're going to look at a story from Luke's Gospel. It's one of Jesus' uh, better-known parables, and parables always make better mirrors than they do windows. And parables always make better mirrors than they do windows. So my hope this morning is that this parable, that it might be a mirror into your own life. And that it might reveal to you the places where you need to put pride aside. And the parable comes to us in Luke 18. And there we find a story that Jesus tells to those who overestimated themselves. Those who had an inflated sense of their own abilities or their own virtue. Those who were certain that they were above average. Those who were pretty sure that they were better than Fill in the blank. It's a parable about pride. So as you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel. From Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9. He, Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this here tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector standing far off, would not even look up to the heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And let us pray. Gracious God, we pray for the one who preaches, for you know his sins are many. Have mercy. 
Amen. Uh, Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, right off the bat, in order for us to understand what Jesus is doing in this parable, I need you to forget everything you think you know about Pharisees. I mean, I realize that Pharisees get a lot of bad press in the Gospels. I understand that Pharisee has become a pejorative and accusatory term. After all, no one wants to be called a Pharisee. But I need you to forget this morning every bad thing you may have heard about Pharisees because this one was a great guy. In fact, uh, we are told in the parable that he fasted and he tithed. Think about that for a moment. Uh, Can we all just admit this morning that anyone who fasts and tithes is serious about their faith? I mean, if anyone here knows a dozen people who fast and tithe, I know a church that will accept delivery of them, no questions asked. (laughs) This Pharisee was serious about his faith. It's so serious that he had demonstrated control over the two things that most often control us, our stomachs and our wallets. This Pharisee was a good man. Unlike that tax collector who was a liar and a thief. In the eyes of the community, the Pharisee would have been respected and revered. But the tax collector... He would have been despised and ostracized. So perhaps we need to hear this parable differently this morning. He told this parable to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Uh, Two men went to the temple to pray. One had just been named citizen of the year. He never cheated on his church or his wife. He never raised his voice at his kids. He had never taken anything that he hadn't earned honestly. He volunteered his time and talent tutoring inner-city children and building homes for Habitat for Humanity. He even served his time as president of the PTA without grumbling. But the other man who came to pray that day, he was a shady and shifty politician as someone who was colluding with the government to oppress his own people. He was the worst kind of crook, a legal one, a mafia-style enforcer who made his money on the backs of the poor. And that's how he managed to afford his luxury SUV and his vacation home in 30A. He was a cheat who had a cellar full of the finest wine purchased with money that he had squeezed out of widows and orphans. And what does Jesus say about these two men? He says the first one, the good man, is actually worse off than the second. Jesus says that this lying, cheating thief who just waltzed into church, didn't sing the hymns, didn't put anything in the collection plate, but just mumbled while staring at the tips of his eel-skin boots, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, 
Jesus says, this man went home justified, while our citizen of the year did not. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Can we be honest for a moment? You hate this parable. I mean, we may say that we love God's mercy, just not when it's liberally applied. We may say that we love God's mercy, but some nights when we're lying awake, And we can't sleep because we can't stop thinking about that lingering vice that we just can't shake. We doubt if God's mercy is enough. So we hedge our bets. We hedge our bets. And so we we come to church trudging up to God just like that Pharisee, uh, dragging behind us our Sunday school attendance pins, our confirmation certificates, and our record of giving to the United Way only to find out that God isn't at all impressed. Cool, God says, but you should probably save that for your law school application. Oh, we're talking about the justification of the ungodly here. We're talking eternity, uh, eternal life, not sorority rush. And newsflash, no human goodness is good enough for God's goodness. Want to come clean now? You don't like this parable. I mean, you get the parable. Uh, You understand in your mind the thrust of the parable, but the pride in your heart has a desperate need to believe its opposite, and so does mine. The pride in our heart has a desperate need to trust in our own righteousness, in our own moral stature, The pride in our heart has a desperate need to believe that we are right and that everyone else is wrong. But as the proverb says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Do you see it now? That's the hook of the parable. Both the Pharisee and the tax collector sin. One sins by stealing, the other sins by praying. Thank God I'm not like. The ultimate sin of the Pharisee is that he separates himself. He prays, thank God I'm not like other people. Uh, Thank God I'm not like those thieves. Uh, Thank God I'm not like those rogues. Uh, Thank God I'm not like those adulterers. And finally, thank God I'm not like this here tax collector. The sin of the Pharisee is that he separates himself from the very soul who was praying with him in the temple that day. And the more the Pharisee separates himself from others, the more he separates himself from God. He separates himself from others one by one until he's left all alone by himself, a sitting duck. Now, friends, here's the deal. It's easy to be hard on the Pharisee. But we all know this prayer. We know this prayer, even if we never say it out loud. 
Some of us uh, pray silently to ourselves, uh, thank God I'm not like the tax collector. And some of you this very moment are saying, thank God I'm not like that Pharisee. Sometimes our pride is obvious. Uh, Thank God I'm not like other people. But other times, friends, our pride is more subtle and insidious. And so we say silently to ourselves things like, thank God I'm not like those Christians. I wonder who those Christians are for you. Is it the liberal Christians or the fundamentalist Christians? Is it the legalistic Christians or the anything-goes Christians? Is it the joyless Christians or the cultural Christians? Which one of them has been giving you a bad name? And we say to ourselves, thank God I'm not like those Christians. And like the Pharisee, we seek to separate ourselves from the very souls who came to worship with you this day. Friends, hear me say this clearly. Anytime we say, thank God I'm not like, we have not only missed the point of the parable, we have lost the plot of the gospel. For Jesus did not come to reform the reformable or improve the improvable. Jesus Christ came to raise the dead. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And the only thing you need to know is your need. All you have to do is humble yourself enough to trust in God's mercy and know that it's enough. Is that good news? Probably depends on where you stand. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Uh, My all-time favorite fiction writer is the late Flannery O'Connor. She grew up in Milledgeville, Georgia, A devout Catholic and prolific writer, she was a master of the Southern Gothic literary style. In 1964, O'Connor published a short story called Revelation. It was one of the last stories she published before dying of lupus at the age of 39. It's a story about pride and the wideness of God's mercy. Uh, The story is set in the Jim Crow South, And the protagonist in the story is a Christian woman named Ruby Turpin, who, like the Pharisee in Luke's gospel, is blinded by her pride and unable to see herself accurately. You might say she was someone who trusted in herself that she was righteous. We're introduced to Ruby Turpin uh, sitting in the waiting room of a doctor's office. And as she waits, uh, she is holding forth about her good Christian values. She names everyone's sin but her own. She looks at everyone else sitting in the waiting room, and she sizes them up based on race and class and an elaborate moral scale that she is constantly and conveniently adjusting. Uh, To no one's surprise, uh, she always finds herself on the top of the righteous order of things. But she's a good Christian woman. 
So she never fails to give credit where credit is due, thanking God Almighty for making her exactly as she is. When all of a sudden, like she was chosen for such a time as this, a teenage girl hurls a huge book across the waiting room, cold-cocking Ruby Turban upside the head. The blow lands Ruby sprawled out unconscious on the floor. The giant hardback book that's now laying on the floor next to her was titled Human Development. And the girl who threw it, her name was Grace. Ruby's violent encounter with Grace was the beginning of her redemption. Uh, Later that evening, uh, around dusk, a ruby turban took her bruised forehead outside to feed the hogs on her farm. In the deepening light, everything was taking on a mysterious hue. And that's when Ruby Turpin received her vision, her revelation. Look with me on the screens. A vision of light settled in Ruby's eyes. She saw a vast swinging bridge extending upward from the earth through a field of living fire. Upon it, a vast horde of souls were tumbling toward heaven. There were whole companies of white trash clean for the first time in their lives, and bands of black folks in white robes, and battalions of freaks and lunatics shouting and clapping and leaping like frogs. And bringing up the end of the procession, translation, at the back of the line, was a tribe of people whom she recognized at once as those who, like herself, had always had a little of everything and the given wit to use it right. She leaned forward to observe them closer. They were marching behind the others with great dignity, accountable as they always had been for good order and common sense and respectable behavior. They alone were on key. Yet she could see by their shocked and altered faces that even their virtues were being burned away. Ruby Turpin received a vision of the kingdom of God and her place in it. And it all started with a violent encounter with grace. She learned that the things we take pride in, even the things we consider to be our strengths and our virtues, are no match when we meet the purifier of souls. When we stand before God, even our virtues will be burned away. So better to be honest about our condition. Better to just come out and confess that we are all freaks and lunatics. That we're all messy mortals. We're all both sinners and saints, if not simultaneously, then from one Sunday to the next. (laughs) We leave church as tax collectors, enjoying our forgiveness, but as soon as we get out to the parking lot or log on to Facebook, we're back to being Pharisees again. They're two different characters, but they're both in us. And no matter how hard you try, you will go and sin some more. And that's why God's people should be the ones who shout and clap and leap like frogs. Because we see ourselves accurately. And yet we know that we are loved and cherished and saved by God. According to his steadfast mercy.
he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. I want to close this morning uh, by telling you one final story. After all, the best way to preach a parable is with more parables. It's what Jesus did. Garrison Keeler of A Prairie Home Companion tells a story of a Thanksgiving he experienced with his family in rural Minnesota. The whole family had gathered around a Thanksgiving table that was creaking under the weight of a turkey-centered feast. The whole extended family and invited guests were standing around the table waiting to eat, but more importantly, waiting to find out who Mama would call on to say grace. Surely it wouldn't be Uncle John. You see, Uncle John was known for his long and passionate prayers. Uncle John always prayed from his heart. He would always confess his sin. Uncle John couldn't pray without thanking God for the blood of Jesus. Uncle John couldn't pray without talking about the cross and crying. But this was Thanksgiving dinner for crying out loud. There were guests among us. We were joined by neighbors and new spouses who were meeting our extended family for the first time. Surely Mama wouldn't call on Uncle John. Kiva says apparently Mama was the only one in the family who wasn't bothered by Uncle John's prayers. Because guess who she called on? Keeler says Uncle John began to pray just like he always did. And when he got to the cross and the passion of Christ, he began to cry just like he always did. Meanwhile, he says, the rest of us stared blankly at the floor, nervously shifting from one foot to the other. When he finally finished, sometime later, wide-eyed guests knew that this household, and particularly Uncle John, was a little different. Garrison ends his story by saying, All of us knew that Jesus had died on the cross. All of us knew that God was merciful. But Uncle John? Uncle John never got over it. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Friends, if we want to be a people who put pride aside, if we want to be a people who practice genuine humility, we must see ourselves as we are before a holy God. We got to give up the game. Stop making ourselves seem more impressive than we really are and stop counting the things that God is no longer counting. If we want to put pride aside, we must be a people who plead for God's mercy, a people who trust that Christ came to save sinners, only sinners. And we must be a people who never get over it. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us sinners. We do not presume to come to this your church trusting in our own righteousness, but trusting that you are the same Lord whose character is to always have mercy. May we trust that it's enough. Amen.